0: Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, August 15th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. Happy Tuesday. I'm Moshe
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. So, Jill, I didn't realize until about five minutes ago when I saw at the top of the podcast script that today, August 15th, is a holiday, apparently.
1: That's right. Everybody out there, take it. Deep breath in, let it out. It is National Relaxation Day. (laughs) Do you feel relaxed yet?
0: Oh, very relaxed (laughs) on a Tuesday. Um, So apparently when you Google a date and holidays, sometimes you'll get like 20 holidays, Jill. And sometimes we'll do that like, oh, is today National Ice Cream Day or National Hot Dog Day or whatever. So uh, you Google August 15th, it's National Relaxation Day. And apparently this goes back nearly 40 years to 1985, a nine-year-old named Sean Moeller out of Michigan proposed National Relaxation Day. He's quoted an issue of the Des Moines Register at the time saying that people don't think enough about relaxing and they think too much about working. This is advice from a nine-year-old, by the way, guidance from a nine-year-old. So uh, you should take a moment to relax today and thank a nine-year-old for proposing National Relaxation Day.
1: That's Sean, uh, wise beyond his years. Thank you for that, Sean. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jill, I should note, Sean was nine at the time, but it appears he was born in 1976. So today, uh, what does that make Sean? Nearly uh, 47 years old today, Sean. I hope he continues to relax through his 40s now.
1: (laughs) I wonder what he's doing today. (laughs) Sean, if you listen to the Mo News (laughs) (laughs) podcast, please let us know how you are spending National Relaxation Day, which you basically started.
0: You invented it 38 years ago. We'd love to hear from you. In fact, we'll have you on the podcast (laughs) to discuss how you feel, what you feel this is accomplished and how you feel Americans are, you know, taking advantage. you know, frankly, globally. It's a global holiday, according to Google. So, uh, do you feel that it's it's lived up to your expectations?
1: Okay, Mosh, I don't think there's anything left to say about National Relaxation Day. No, no, we're
0: done. <laughs> we're done relaxing on this podcast. Let's get to okay. the
1: news. Uh, the headlines now another update from Hawaii, where the search for survivors and victims continues and frustrations amongst residents is growing. We are on Trump indictment watch again.
0: Angela, it looks like we got an indictment late on Monday night.
1: In a landmark climate case, a Montana judge rules in favor of the young plaintiffs who had sued the state what this could mean for future climate cases. All right, Moshe, everyone out there, you remember the Sandra Bullock movie, The Blind Side? Well, in a shocking turn of events, ex-NFL player Michael Orr, who was the inspiration of that movie, he says he was never actually adopted by the real family that that movie was based on and was tricked into signing a conservatorship. New numbers on homelessness in America. Netflix dives into online gaming. We'll tell you where in the world it's currently available. And the couple suing Italy after one of them slipped on a piece of prosciutto.
0: Watch your step, everybody!
1: Thank God it was not a banana peel or a banana dipper for Alex's sake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it's something that is perfect for Italy. Prosciutto, as the Italians say.
1: And Moshe is on this day in history.
0: Jill, a little bit of uh, Woodstock, a little bit Napoleon. And uh, we'll dive into that question mark that NASA recently spotted out there in the sky.
1: All right, Moshe, I promise I will listen until the end of the episode.
0: All right, let's get started here with that Trump indictment, which broke close to midnight on Monday night. Former President Trump and a number of allies indicted in Georgia on Monday accused of scheming to illegally overturn his 2020 election loss in the state. For those of you keeping count, this is now his fourth criminal case, fourth indictment in just a matter of five months. And it's the second to allege that he tried to criminally and illegally subvert the results of the vote. In this Georgia indictment, Trump faces 13 counts. This includes violating the Georgia racketeering influenced and corrupt organizations act otherwise known as rico this is a statute often used against the mafia but they have found that he violated it or at least is accused of violating it here in this instance also he's facing counts on soliciting a public officer to violate their oath conspiring to impersonate a public officer conspiring to commit forgery in the first degree and conspiring to file false documents But it's not just Trump. He was charged alongside 18 others, including several allies. This is all part of a 98-page indictment that Pop laid on Monday. So it's Trump, along with 18 others, a total of 19 people here. That includes his former White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, who faces two counts, and his former attorney, former New York City Mayor, Rudy Giuliani, who also faces 13 counts in this indictment. He was heavily involved in that effort to overturn the election in Georgia. Also named are several other Trump advisors, including attorney John Eastman. He was the architect of the scheme to overturn the election. Eastman faces nine counts as part of this indictment. This is all part of a two-year investigation by Georgia prosecutor, District Attorney Fannie Willis, who's been investigating all of this. This indictment from a grand jury out of Fulton County, Georgia, was ignited by a January 2021 phone call in which the then-President Trump suggested that Georgia's Republican Secretary of State in a phone call, help him find 11,780 votes. That many votes needed to reverse his loss to Biden. Now, keep in mind, this phone call took place after the votes were cast, after they were counted, after they were recounted and certified. Trump's still pushing here, both the Republican Secretary of State and the Republican governor. So Willis began investigating and it quickly expanded to other efforts by Trump and the people around him which included a number of other allegations, including trying to thwart the Electoral College process, harassing election workers, spreading false information about the voting process in Georgia, and compromising election equipment. This is the hack in a rural county in Georgia, which we got some details on in the indictment. Trump, of course, denies that he committed any crime here. He calls this a political witch hunt. He defended his calls to Georgia officials as, quote, perfect, the perfect phone calls. So this now marks Trump's fourth indictment in less than five months and the second to arise out of his efforts to overturn the 2020 election loss. The other election indictment is a federal one out of D.C. regarding the plot for two months leading up to January 6th and the attempt to block certification in Congress. So the two election indictments, the federal one and Georgia one. Then you have the federal classified records indictment. That's the one out of Florida regarding the couple hundred documents he took home with him and then tried to block the government allegedly from getting back. And then fourth, you have the indictment out of New York. That's regarding the hush money payments to the porn star. So those are the four criminal indictments. Then Trump, on top of that, has three civil cases going to trial in the next six months. One has to do with breaking business laws in New York, which could block the Trump Corporation from ever doing business again in New York. Then there's a separate trial related to a Ponzi scheme that the Trump Corporation is alleged to have pushed. And then thirdly, you have another defamation case by E. Jean Carroll. She's the columnist who accuses Trump of raping her in the 90s. She's already won one case against him, and now she's suing him again for further defamation. So four criminal cases, three civil cases, certainly a busy docket for Trump. We will keep you up to date on the developments, the reaction, and it all on the Instagram feed, on the motors Instagram feed throughout the day.
1: All right, the latest from Maui. Hawaii's governor warned yesterday that many more people could be found dead following the Maui wildfires as search crews are now going street by street through neighborhoods. 20 cadaver dogs and dozens of searchers are making their way through blocks that have just been reduced to ash. The fires that consumed most of the historic town of Lahaina are already the deadliest in the U.S. in more than a century. The death toll is at least 96 people. The governor, Josh Green, tells CBS, quote, they will find 10 to 20 people per day probably until they finish, and it's probably going to take 10 days. It's impossible to guess, really. So you do the math there, and just unfortunately, um, this is is such a disaster. Uh, As cell phone service has slowly been restored, the number of people missing has dropped to about 1,300 from over 2,000. The fire that swept into centuries-old Lahaina nearly a week ago destroyed nearly every building in that town of about 13,000 people. And nearly a week later, they are still fighting the fire. It's been about 85% contained, but it is still going. And there's another fire on the island um, known as the Upcountry Fire. That's about 60% contained.
0: Now, there's been a lot of questions and frustration related to the aid effort. Many Hawaii resident survivors saying they're not getting enough, quick enough, uh, as far as shelter, as far as food, water, etc., FEMA has now started to provide $700 to displaced residents to cover the cost of food, water, first aid, medical supplies. That's according to the head of FEMA on Monday. The money is in addition to whatever amount residents qualify for to cover the loss of their homes and personal property. The Biden administration is seeking $12 billion in additional money for the government's disaster relief fund as part of its supplemental funding request to Congress. There have been estimates she'll that the rebuilding effort could be upwards of 10 billion dollars just for lahaina we have been getting a lot of questions about the aid effort over on instagram there have been a number of videos put out please by uh, residents saying they need more they're not able to access um aid they can't access their homes and the authorities right now are saying they're doing the best they can they do have to block off roads to these huge communities because they're concerned about the pollution about uh, the chemicals the aftermath um, in that area of Lahaina, so they're blocking people from going there. The state also has some limited ability uh, to run the disaster. So they're asking for more aid from the feds, uh, the military, FEMA, etc., to assist them. Keep in mind that most disasters are led by local and state authorities with help from the federal government. That's how it typically goes. Uh, but some states more experienced at disasters than others. Uh, You know, a state like Florida, which is very used to hurricanes, is very on top of these things. It appears Hawaii here is a bit behind the eight ball in regards to their response and also just the remoteness of Hawaii. Five hours from the U.S. West Coast has made it difficult to get assets in place as quickly as people want. I did speak with someone at FEMA on Monday who said they know a lot of eyes are on them. They are sending hundreds of more people to Maui uh, to deal with uh, the aid effort. They know this is going to be a years long situation given the immense destruction. And it's a story we'll stay on top of here on the podcast and over on the Instagram account.
1: All right, now to a groundbreaking ruling that we got out of Montana on Monday. A judge who heard the country's first constitutional climate trial has ruled in favor of a group of very young plaintiffs who had accused state officials in Montana of violating their right to a healthy environment. Earlier this summer, 16 young Montana residents ages 5 to 22 years old brought the nation's first ever youth-led climate lawsuit to trial in Held v. State of Montana. During the trial, they detailed injuries and setbacks that they have personally suffered as a result of climate change. That included an asthmatic 15-year-old who described how recent wildfire smoke has been so intense that the air quality made him feel like a, quote, prisoner in his own home. The judge ruled that a state law prohibiting government agencies from considering climate impacts when deciding whether or not to permit energy projects, is actually unconstitutional. The ruling is that Montana is contributing to the climate crisis and the law stops the state from addressing that crisis. Attorneys for the state countered that Montana's contribution to global greenhouse gas emissions is small. If the law in question were altered or overturned, Montana Assistant Attorney General Michael Russell said that there would be, quote, no meaningful impact or appreciable effect on the climate. The plaintiffs, though, argued that the state has never denied a permit for a fossil fuel project. Coal is critical to the state's economy, and Montana is home to the largest recoverable coal reserves in the country. The Montana Attorney General is appealing the ruling.
0: So the deal is this. While the ruling doesn't prevent the use of fossil fuels, it will reverse that state law that prohibited statewide agencies from allowing any kind of planet warming pollution when permitting fossil fuel projects. Basically, they had this ban saying they couldn't even consider climate. And this is what they were protesting. And it appears the judges ruled that you can't have that law in place, Montana. It is considered a big win here for climate advocates who are turning to the court system and judges on the causes that they care about instead of lawmakers. Effectively, they're frustrated with Washington and state capitals, and they're turning to the courts here. It does represent a rare victory for the activists who've been trying to use the courts. Though the number of climate cases around the world has more than doubled in just the last five years, youth-led lawsuits in the U.S. have faced an uphill battle. Already at least 14 of these types of cases have been dismissed as of last month. This is a big victory for them, though, as they try to pursue this in state by state, as well as on the federal front. Keep your eyes on a federal case against the Biden administration called Juliana versus the U.S. That's out of Oregon. That could go to trial next year after repeated roadblocks. There's also another youth climate trial out of Hawaii that we'll be watching. There's a nonprofit law firm called Our Children's Trust, which represented that young group of people uh, in Montana in their lawsuit who have been taking on more and more of these lawsuits. All right, we have a lot more to get to in today's show, including today's speed read. But first, a quick note from our sponsors we should say that this show is sponsored by better help we talk a lot here about the importance of mental health it's often in the headlines and whether people are facing major stresses at home or major decisions professionally talking to someone can always help there have been times in my life where i've gone to see someone to work things out uh was initially nervous but it helped me get through some major blocks get some clarity on things happening in my life setting boundaries a whole variety of things and so we're very glad to have better help as a sponsor here at Mo News, and they have a deal right now for the Mo News community. If you're thinking about starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, then you get matched with a licensed therapist. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. You can visit BetterHelp.com/MOSH M-O-S-H, today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp dot com slash Mosh, M-O-S-H. Again, BetterHelp.com slash M-O-S-H.
1: And Mosh, we're also always talking about health trends here on the podcast and food trends. And it is hard to get all of your nutrients. Well, one way to get all of the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 Powder. I have AG1 in the morning. It is just one scoop with a glass of water. It is easy and quick, and it lets you get on with your day Knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre- and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit drinkag1.com slash monews. You could take advantage of this offer. You get a discounted monthly subscription, or you could just try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read from NBC News, a bombshell story for many of us who either read the book or saw the movie The Blind Side. Michael Orr, who is the former NFL tackle and Super Bowl champ known for being the inspiration for The Blind Side, he filed a petition Monday alleging that the couple who took him in as a teenager misled him into believing that they were adopting him and instead they placed him in a conservatorship. Which let them cash in on some of his business deals. In a petition filed yesterday in a Tennessee court, Orr accuses Sean and Leanne Tui of lying to him by having him sign papers, making them his conservators rather than his adoptive parents nearly two decades ago. The story of Orr and the Tui family became the subject of the Oscar winning film starring actor Sandra Bullock in the role of Leanne Tui. The film was based on the Michael Lewis book of the same name, and it chronicled Orr's life as a homeless child through his college football career and eventual NFL stardom. So Orr right now is accusing the Tuies of enriching themselves at his expense by continuing to falsely and publicly representing themselves as his adoptive parents to this day.
0: So he apparently has since learned that the Tuies negotiated a deal with 20th Century Fox that left Orr without any payment for the rights to his name, likeness and life story while the tui family received a contract price of 225 grand in addition to two and a half percent of the film's net proceeds according to his legal petition filed this week or discovered this lie to his quote chagrin and embarrassment in february of this year that's when he learned that the conservatorship to which he consented to on the basis that he would become a member of the family in fact provided him no familial relationship with the Tuweis. So he is asking for the conservatorship to be terminated along with asking for a full accounting of all the money they earned off the use of his name and story or who we should mention has never been a fan of the movie. Also asks in the petition that the Tuweis be sanctioned and required to pay both compensatory and punitive damages determined by the court. Or accuses the twoies of never taking the legal action to assume custody of him before he turned 18 and then giving him the conservatorship paperwork months after he turned 18 and saying, well, this is just about adoption. You might remember he moved in with the twoies just before his senior year of high school. He says in the petition that he was told to call them mom and dad.
1: Moch, this was just such a heartwarming and wonderful story. And it's and I'm kind of speechless that all of these years later, he's first finding out about this. Obviously, now we're first finding out about it as well. And it's just terrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, this is his version of events. But yeah, I mean, it, you, you look at that story and there were positive elements to it, but clearly it, it appears here that he was taken advantage of and uh, is now taking them to court. So, uh, you know, it's unclear what happened behind the scenes since he discovered this in February. Uh, through today but it is so sad you know one of the things they always tell us in journalism school and i always told producers and reporters is if a story feels too good to be true it usually is and it appears at least based on our reading of this document uh monday this is one of those cases
1: it's surprising though that nobody caught it in writing the screenplay and putting the book together um that it's first coming out now
0: I mean, it's remarkable that he first found out about this in February, right? They kept it from him. So they must have done a pretty good job, at least, again, based on the allegations that he lays out here.
1: From the Wall Street Journal, more Americans are ending up homeless and at a record rate. Advocates say high housing costs and evictions have pushed more people from their homes. This is all according to a Wall Street Journal review of data from around the country. So, so far this year. The data are up roughly 11% from 2022, a sharp jump that would represent by far the biggest recorded increase since the government started to track comparable numbers in 2007. The next highest increase was a 2.7% jump in 2019. These are preliminary numbers. A final estimate, which is meant to represent a single night of homelessness in the U.S., is expected later this year from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. This year's surge reflects a host of pressures around the country, things like rising housing costs, the lack of affordable rental units, and the nation's continuing opioid crisis, and that is according to reports from nonprofits and government agencies around the country.
0: Yeah, so it's hard to get uh, a full accounting here, but the Wall Street Journal doing their best here to figure out the numbers of homeless here in the U.S. As you mentioned, the biggest driver remains high housing costs. They're now taking a heavier toll following the wind down of all those pandemic era relief uh, spending and policies such as eviction moratoriums. Uh, This is according to advocates for the homeless. One group says that the COVID relief funds provided a buffer. And what we're seeing now is what happens when those resources are not available. So looking at a few cities here, Denver has reported a 32% increase in homeless numbers in this year's point-in-time count. That's among the largest increases that we've seen in big cities. L.A. County reporting a 10% increase. Some places, like New York City, say an influx of migrants have also inflated homeless counts. New York recently reported about 83,000 people in its shelter system. In Massachusetts, the governor there declared a state of emergency this month because of a fast-rising number of migrant families in need of shelter and services. And this continues, Jill, just city after city after city. Uh, We'll link to the Wall Street Journal report uh, in the show notes for everybody.
1: From the website The Verge, Netflix is kicking off the first public tests of its cloud-streamed games Starting this week, some Netflix subscribers in Canada and the UK will be able to check out Netflix Games streamed to select TVs, connected TV devices, and on the web from netflix.com. In a blog post, Netflix's VP of Games characterized this as a limited beta test to a small number of members, so not all subscribers in Canada and the UK are going to have this right away. Even though this is an initial launch and it's small, it does mark a potentially huge moment for Netflix's gaming ambitions.
0: Yeah, Netflix is trying to figure out a way to get you to spend more time on Netflix. The company first launched its mobile game offerings as a free perk back in November 2021, so just about two years ago. So far, the company's titles have only been available on iOS and Android. But by bringing games now to TVs and web browsers over cloud streaming, subscribers will potentially be able to play Netflix's titles in a lot more places. And again, this gives Netflix a chance to compete here. Right now, there's two games available, not familiar with either one, admittedly, Jill Oxen Free and Mole Hughes Mining Adventure, which is a gem mining arcade game. I'm not big on those, but every time I'm on the subway, there's like people all around me are all playing these gem mining <laughs> arcade games. I don't know if you've seen the same thing out in Long Island.
1: I don't know if these games are quite as big um, on the LIRR as they are on the the (laughs) subway. (laughs) But look, Netflix needs ways to make additional revenue.
0: You know, they spent a lot on producing these very expensive shows. Whereas if you, you know, build some games or buy some games... You put them on the Netflix platform and people play them over and over and over again. You can incorporate advertising into them. Uh, And what's interesting here about Netflix is they're not doing this through traditional gaming. For example, apparently these games on your TV, you'll control them through your smartphone. And then uh, as far as Netflix mobile, the controller is within the Netflix app on iOS. You need to download a special controller app. But Netflix is trying to build their own ecosystem around video games separate from all those video game companies. uh, And again, you know, find a way to keep you on the platform that is much cheaper for them to produce and maintain than all these super expensive shows. Uh, You know, Jill, we've been talking about the Hollywood strike, the actors and the writers. Well, already the studios are pivoting here. Now, this was long planned before the strike, but they are going to find new ways to preserve audience and grow audience uh, without having to pay those, you know, expensive writers, actors, and frankly, anybody else.
1: And from the Boston Globe, a New Hampshire woman is suing Italy Boston, saying that she broke her ankle when she slipped on a piece of prosciutto at the Prudential Center Food Hall last year. Alice Cohen of Guilford filed a lawsuit Friday in Suffolk Superior Court seeking at least $50,000 in damages. The suit says that Alice and her husband, Ronald, were shopping at Italy on October 7th of 2022 when Alice slipped on a piece of prosciutto in an area where food samples were being offered to customers. The lawsuit says, quote, as plaintiff Alice Cohen approached the area, she slipped and fell on a piece of prosciutto on the floor, injuring her left ankle, resulting in fracture. The suit says Italy had a duty to ensure that the surface of the floors were free from unnecessary dangers, a duty to use ordinary care to maintain the premises in a reasonably safe condition, and a duty to warn of such dangerous conditions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's all these versions of the McDonald's, like, coffee is too hot lawsuit, right? Uh, In this case, Italy, you need to ensure in your large place that there's not a single piece of food on the floor, at least that appears to be the assertion here. The court filing says that uh, poor Alice suffered a left ankle sprain and distal fibular avulsion fracture. She incurred uh, medical bills in excess of $7,500, including doctor's bills, hospital bills, and physical therapy. Her lawyers claim that the injury caused her, quote, a loss of enjoyment of life, as well as, quote, great pain and suffering. So this is the lawsuit, my favorite lawsuit of the day, Jill, the Italy prosciutto lawsuit. Uh, you know, needless to say, folks, look ahead when you're walking. <laughs>
1: I have a friend who just goes to supermarkets for the samples. So she just goes from kind of one sample spot to the next. So you'll say, oh, Whole Foods on 57th Street. She'll be like, oh, go Monday, 10 a.m. They put all the samples out. Um, (laughs) But never does she talk about samples on the floor.
0: No, no. Uh, You know, clearly Whole Foods, they're really taking the care that it appears Italy did not. We're going to watch this lawsuit. I imagine it gets settled out of court or a judge throws this out. We'll see. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We're going to begin in the 18th century. On this day in 1769, Napoleon was born in France. He would go on to lead France's historic conquest of Europe and then its loss. And that would lead to his exile, not once, but twice. Uh, He makes the island of Elba very famous, Jill.
1: And here, when you teased Napoleon, I I thought perhaps you were referring to the dessert.
0: Well, there's so many things named (laughs) after him. He's got a dessert. He's got a complex, a whole variety of things. All right. Let's fast forward to the 20th century. After three decades, the Indian independence movement led by Mahatma Gandhi achieved its goal as a free and independent India. It was established today, ending 200 years of British rule. All right, let's fast forward to the 21st century. Astronomers on this day in 2001, 22 years ago, announced the discovery of the first solar system outside our own. They discovered two planets orbiting a star in the Big Dipper. Uh, That was 22 years ago. Jill, the big space story we've been covering on the Instagram feed in the last few days is the question mark that uh, NASA telescopes recently discovered in space. Have you been following it?
1: I've seen the picture. What is it? So
0: (laughs) it's the universe telling us what the hell is going on here. (laughs)
1: Exactly. It's the universe going, "Uh, guys, everything okay down there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We understand you have this symbol for "Uh?" this is us asking. "Uh?" Um, Anyway, so they discover this while taking pictures of some known stars. And they're like, wait, what is this in the background? They discover this question mark. We posted it over on the Instagram account. Well, according to scientists, they believe it's two galaxies merging together swirling together which is what creates the uh question mark like look uh keep in mind that a galaxy is like our milky way of which there are many 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 billions of stars and solar systems by the way our galaxy the milky way is set to merge with another galaxy andromeda but you don't have to worry about that for a while in four billion years that's when things will start to get a little crazy uh as we start to mix it up with another galaxy And finally, just two years ago on this day is when the Taliban took over Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, after that catastrophic U.S. exit. We'll end here with a bit of music news. On this day in 1969, the Woodstock Music Festival began in upstate New York. With the U.S. very deep in the Vietnam War, in the midst of that civil rights movement, Woodstock was an opportunity for people to escape into music and spread a message of unity, love, and peace. And finally, Jill... A point of personal privilege here, one of my favorites, Everybody Plays the Fool, turns both 52 years old and 32 years old today. The song was first released by the group The Main Ingredient this month in 1971, and then remade and re-released again today in 1991 by Aaron Neville.
1: Which version do you like better?
0: Well, I just played for everyone the Aaron Neville version, which was kind of top of mind for me. But, you know, I feel like I got to give credit where credit's due and go with The Main Ingredient. (laughs)
1: <laughs> everybody plays i it is a great song
0: jill i feel like it's like the perfect song for this podcast <laughs> and like half the stories we cover every day
1: so most the opposite of me working from the office is what is yes. going on today <laughs> during this podcast i've been noticing you've had a little guest YouTube. a special guest my daughter alexandra's actually been sitting in for part of this recording Um, And at some point, she's been tapping my shoulder, (laughs) whispering some things to me. Now, if you're new to this podcast, though, and you listen all the way to the end, you might hear this very sweet voice saying, thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast. Well, that is my daughter. Uh, You want to do a live version right now, Cutie? Go for it.
0: Come on, you can do it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast. Nice work. Nice work. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store.
0: Thanks, everybody. Jill, I'll see you, Alexandra, and everybody else tomorrow.